Please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. This morning we're continuing in this passage as we've been studying Philippians chapter 2. As we've seen the life of Paul and the life of Timothy and what Paul is writing to the church at Philippi and how this applies to our lives. This morning we're going to be in Philippians 2 verses 25 through 30. Let me begin by reading our passage for us, Philippians 2, beginning in verse 25. Paul says this, But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death. God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I've sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. D.L. Moody once said, The measure of a man is not how many servants he has, but how many men he serves. This morning we're going to see a man who didn't have any servants. He wasn't a famous pastor. He wasn't an elder or a a leader in the church at Philippi, at least not that we know of. This man was simply a congregant, a layman in the church who had a heart to sacrificially serve God's people. Over the past few weeks, we've seen men who have become models for us of what it looks like for us to humbly live our lives for Christ. Just as Paul had commanded back in chapter 1 and verse 27, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. These men have become models to us of what it means to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. We saw the model of Paul. Paul, who was a model of humble sacrifice. He lived his life as a sacrifice unto Christ. Last week we saw the example of Timothy who modeled for us humble selflessness. He was a man who was totally and completely selfless, devoted to the will of God. This morning we come to Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus who's a model for us of what it means to be a humble servant. A humble servant of the Lord. Now, what's interesting is that what we know about this man, Epaphroditus, comes to us from what we see here in Philippians chapter 2 and a verse over in chapter 4. Paul didn't write a letter to Epaphroditus like he did to Timothy and Titus. There's no letter that's written to him. Epaphroditus, in fact, is not someone that we hold highly throughout church history. There aren't books written about his life. 
There aren't books written about his impact for the gospel. He has zero celebrity status and almost no popularity. In fact, if you were to go up and ask the average churchgoer what they knew about Epaphroditus, most likely they would say, Epaphra who? Who are you talking about? Is that guy actually in the Bible? Yes, he is. Commenting on Epaphroditus, David Jeremiah says this, Apart from these few verses, he would be an unknown, but in many respects, that fits him anyways. He was just a layman in the church at Philippi who held no office, wrote no books, gave no sermons, led no great enterprises for God. He was a messenger boy for the gospel, a servant for his Lord. In fact, this week as I opened up my Bible dictionary to compare what we know about Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus, The section on Paul in the Bible dictionary is six pages long. There's a lot of things that we know about him. Very popular guy. Then I turn over to Timothy. Well, what does the Bible dictionary say about Timothy? And there were three pages, three pages, things that are written about Timothy. And obviously, there were letters that were written to him, so there's a lot more that we know about him. Then I went to the section on Epaphroditus, looked him up. There was one paragraph, ten lines in our Bible dictionary on Epaphroditus, right in the middle of the page that measures about two and a half by one and a half inches, just a a small little square that's there on Epaphroditus. So who was Epaphroditus? What do we know about him? Well, let me just give you a little bit of information about him that we've gathered from these few verses that we have here in Philippians. First, the name Epaphroditus means favored by Aphrodite. Favored by Aphrodite. If you remember from Greek philosophy, Aphrodite is the goddess of love and beauty. The goddess of love and beauty. In Rome, her name was Venus. But among the Greeks, her name was Epaphrodite. And this man's parents named him after this goddess. They named him favored of Aphrodite, or charming, or lovely. In fact, this name was also popular among Greek-speaking people and eventually became associated with gambling and luck. It was associated with gambling and luck. You see, there was a a popular dice game that the Greeks would play in which they threw dice that were made of animal bones called knuckle bones, and they had four sides on them. Four sides. Two sides had rounded edges, and so when you threw the dice, it could only land on four of them because two of them were rounded. Each one of those sides was given a number. And if they rolled the dice and it landed each one of those on a different number, one through four in a row, they would call that Aphrodite's throw. That was Aphrodite's throw. It was a a lucky throw for you to roll the dice. 
Eventually, they began playing with six-sided dice, like we have today. And if a person rolled two sixes when they were rolling two dice, that was called the throw of Aphrodite. It became known as the throw of Aphrodite. In fact, some sources tell us that when the Greeks used to gamble with their dice, they would roll the dice and they would yell, Epaphroditus, wishing for good luck. So what does this tell us? Well, it tells us that Epaphroditus came out of a pagan world. He came out of a pagan world. It's very likely that his family worshipped Epaphrodite, and that is why they named him Epaphroditus. Obviously, Christians would never name their children after a Greek goddess, right? They wouldn't do that. But as we can see here, that's a little bit of background that we have about Epaphroditus, that he was, came from paganism, from idol worship. That's what his family did. But he gets saved at some point. At some point he gets saved, either while Paul was in Philippi or after Paul had left. We don't know for sure when Epaphroditus was saved. But he gets saved out of pagan idolatry. That's his background. And now he's devoted his life to serving Christ. He's a devoted servant of Christ. Second, Epaphroditus was a selfless man. He was a selfless man. He was chosen and commissioned by the Philippian church to send a monetary gift to Paul while he was in Rome. In fact, over in chapter 4 and verse 18, we read this, But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied. This is Paul speaking. Having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice well-pleasing to God. The church took a collection. They gave the money to Epaphroditus. And then they sent him on his way over to Rome to go and deliver it to Paul. Why did Paul need money? Well, Paul was in prison at this time. He's on house arrest, so he couldn't work. And so, just to meet his basic needs, he needed money. And so, the Philippian church being the selfless church that they were and the giving church that they were, gathered a collection and sent it with Epaphroditus to go to Rome to bring to Paul. Now, if you were to trace the journey that Epaphroditus would have taken from Philippi to Rome, it was around an 800-mile trip one way. It would essentially be like us traveling from here down to Oklahoma City. It's about 800 miles. But he didn't have an airplane, couldn't jump on a train, he didn't have a car he could drive in. This would have been a long journey that that he would have taken most likely by foot or possibly even by animal, which wouldn't have been very fast either. One commentator says, traveling from Rome to Philippi or Philippi to Rome would be attended with not a little inconvenience and risk. With the work associated with the journey, it would probably mean to the person who undertook it an absence of months. 
Matthew Harmon, another commentator, says this, Perhaps the shortest route would have been to take the Via Ignatia, which passed through Philippi west to the coast of Macedonia, about 350 miles, and make an 80-mile sea voyage across the Adriatic Sea. From there, one one would take the Via Appia, some 350 miles to Rome, And in the best conditions, such a trip could be made by foot in about six weeks. In less favorable circumstances, it would take about three months for a delivery. We have Amazon in two days. But he's willing to go 800 miles to go and deliver this gift to Paul. Epaphroditus didn't have the Delta app in which he could book a flight. He didn't have a comfortable cushion to sit on as he traveled. He didn't have layovers and restaurants to eat at along the way. This took dedication and sacrifice for him to make this trip to serve Paul. And being gone this long, he would be leaving his family and his friends behind so that he could go to Rome to serve Paul. But it wasn't just the trip that was sacrificial, that was selfless. Think about what Epaphroditus would be doing. He's going to serve who? Paul, who is what? A prisoner in Rome. He's going to serve a prisoner. And what was one of the possible outcomes for Paul at this point? He'd become a martyr. Could possibly lose his life. Be killed. And so it was a real possibility that if Rome had put Paul to death, that they would do that also to his closest companions who were with him. Which means Epaphroditus' life was on the line. All to go and serve the Apostle Paul. Now although Epaphroditus brought this financial gift from Philippi to Paul in Rome, I believe that the greater gift to Paul was Epaphroditus himself. Well, was, was the financial gift the gift? Yes, it was. Was it a great gift? Yes, it was. And it was a sacrificial gift from the church. But I believe that the greater gift for Paul at that time is to have Epaphroditus with him. This great servant. You see, when the Philippians sent Epaphroditus to go to Rome, his whole mission was not just to bring Paul the gift but he was also commissioned to stay and serve Paul in whatever capacity Paul needed him. Epaphroditus was a a selfless man, a humble servant, and one in whom we can model our lives after. Now as we look at our passage here this morning, I want to show you what it took for Epaphroditus to go to Rome and serve Paul. We're going to break this passage here down into four points. Four points. The first point we will call the servant's spiritual devotion. The servant's spiritual devotion. 
Look at verse 25 again and what Paul says there. He says, But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. Now, if you remember from last week, Paul had Timothy with him, right? He has Paul Timothy with him there in Rome, and Paul wanted to send Timothy back to Philippi. But he had to wait to see how things were going to go with him first there at Rome. What were they going to do with him? And so Paul doesn't send Timothy right away. Although he wants to, he desires to send Timothy, but he doesn't send him right away. But what does he do? He sends Epaphroditus back. He sends him back. That's why Paul says there at the beginning of verse 25, but I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. I can't send Timothy yet, although I want to, and and I want to send him as quickly as I can, but I, I can't send him yet, so I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. Now remember, why did the Philippians send Epaphroditus in the first place? Why did they send him to Rome? Well, he was not only to deliver the money to Paul, but he was also to stay and serve Paul there while Paul was on house arrest in Rome. And so when the Philippians see Epaphroditus walking into town, what would they think? Why are you back so soon? What are you doing here? We sent you to Rome to go and stay with Paul and to serve him. Why are you back so soon? And sure, they heard that he was sick, but still his mission was to stay and to serve Paul there in Rome. And so Paul wants the Philippians to know why Epaphroditus suddenly shows back up in town. He wants them to know why he's there. Why does he show up? Why does Epaphroditus show up? Who sends him? Paul does. Paul sends him back. Notice Paul said there, I thought it necessary. I thought it necessary. And the language here in the Greek shows that this was not some flippant response of Paul's. In fact, what this conveys to us in the Greek is that he considered the facts and the situation and he weighed everything out and then decided to send Epaphroditus back. That's what it means when he says, I thought it necessary. But notice then how Paul describes Epaphroditus. He gives us five descriptions that show the devotion of Epaphroditus so that the Philippians would know that this is not Epaphroditus giving up. It's not as if Epaphroditus came to Rome, delivered the money, and then just said, hey, now send me back. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I'm giving up. Or even as some commentators claim, that he was homesick and he wanted to go back home. I don't believe at all for a second that Epaphroditus was homesick or that he was giving up. And Paul wants them to know that he didn't send them back because Epaphroditus is grumbling about his situation. Remember what Paul just said back in verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. And now he gives us a perfect example, a model of a man who has a hard situation in life, goes 800 miles to go serve another man, to deliver a gift, to almost die, and he does all of it without what? 
grumbling. All without grumbling. So Paul didn't send him back because he's grumbling about a situation or because he's homesick or because Epaphroditus gave up. No, in fact, Paul wants the Philippian church to know that this is a man who is devoted to serving. He's devoted to serving. And if you read this verse in the Greek, here is what it would look like. Let me just read it for you as, as you would translate it in the Greek. It would say this, I thought it necessary, Epaphroditus, my brother and co-worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my needs to send him to you. That's how it would read. He puts all of that up front. He says, I thought it necessary, Epaphroditus. Now let me tell you about Epaphroditus. I want you to know who he is before I even tell you that I've sent him back. You see, Paul is setting up Epaphroditus to show the Philippians the devotion of this faithful servant. He's a devoted man. So that when they see him there, they realize how much Paul appreciates his servant's heart and his devotion to the ministry. Notice he gives five descriptions of Epaphroditus there. The first three descriptions that Paul gives shows Epaphroditus' devotion to him personally. How he relates to Paul personally and his devotion to him personally. And then the last two show his devotion to the Philippians. That even though he was there serving with Paul, he's still devoted to the Philippian church. So let's look at these five here. And I want you to notice that Epaphroditus is, is first of all, to, devoted to serving his spiritual family. He's devoted to serving his spiritual family. Notice Paul describes Epaphroditus as my brother. You see that there? He is my brother. What does Paul mean by this? He means that Epaphroditus is his brother in the faith his brother in the faith he's a fellow believer a fellow follower of christ and they serve the the same father they're family members spiritual family members and even though epaphroditus came to serve paul paul doesn't notice this paul doesn't see him as his servant even though epaphroditus was sent to go over to rome to serve paul he doesn't say, now I'm serving, I'm sending my servant back to you. He doesn't say that. How does he describe him? He's my brother. He's my brother. You see even the humility of Paul in this passage. He's a humble man. And Epaphroditus was his brother. And as his brother, it shows that Epaphroditus was devoted to serving his spiritual family. But Epaphroditus wasn't just devoted to his spiritual family, but he was devoted to serving the spiritual field. He was devoted to serving the spiritual field. Notice what Paul says next about Epaphroditus. He says he is my fellow worker. He's my fellow worker. This means Epaphroditus is a co-laborer. In the Greek there, that word means someone who works with another. He's someone who works with another. Again, Epaphroditus was not Paul's servant. 
although he was as he went to go and serve Paul, but Paul doesn't see it from that perspective. Paul says, no, he's my fellow worker. Paul saw him as an equal. Not that he was above him in any way. He was an equal. They were serving in the same spiritual field. The harvest field where they would further the gospel so that lost sinners could be saved. He's his fellow worker. And they're working together alongside each other for the cause of Christ in the same field. That's what Paul is saying here about him. But then Paul says of Epaphroditus that he is a fellow soldier. He's a fellow soldier. That is, he is devoted to serving in the spiritual fight. He's devoted to serving in the spiritual fight. Epaphroditus is not just in the same harvest field with Paul as a fellow sower, sower of seed, but he's also in the same battlefield with Paul as a fellow soldier fighting alongside him. Paul loves to use this language for the Christian life, right? Loves to use this language of of a Christian soldier. Why does he do that? Because he understands that the Christian life is a war. It's a war. A war for what? A battle for what? For the truth. It's a battle for the truth. And the Christian life is to be lived to speak the truth and advance the truth and to stand up for the truth. Because there's a war out there against the truth. The enemy doesn't like the truth. We can see it in our culture today, right? Think about all of the lies that the enemy is espousing. And how many people believe all of those lies? It's a battle for the truth. It's a war. And how comforting this must have been for Paul to know that he's not fighting this war alone. He is a a fellow comrade. Someone who is working alongside of him as a fellow soldier battling and fighting for the truth. He's in this war with him. It's a comfort to know that. that There's someone else who is fighting alongside of him. And this should comfort us as well, right? Knowing that we have fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who are fighting alongside of us, with us, in the same battlefield for the truth. We're people of the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Who do we stand for? For Christ, for the truth. It's a battle. It's a war. But we have fellow soldiers around us who are willing to stand with us in the fight. You see, we need fellow soldiers. We need fellow soldiers in this fight. And we need to be united, united in one fight, in one battle, as we take a stand for the truth as God's children. And so that's the devotion of Epaphroditus in relation to Paul. But this faithful servant was also devoted to the Philippians. Notice what Paul says, continuing in verse 25. He says, who is also your messenger and minister to my need? He's their messenger and their minister. 
Now what's interesting here is that the word messenger in the Greek is the word apostolos. Apostolos, which we get apostle from. It's a transliteration. Apostle. Simply put, an apostle is a messenger. An apostle is a messenger. But Epaphroditus is not a capital A apostle like the Twelve or the Apostle Paul. It's not what he is. Those men were sent by who? By Christ. The Twelve and the Apostle Paul, they were capital A apostles because they were sent by Christ himself. You mean the Apostle Paul was? Yes. You remember the road to Damascus? Who appeared to him? Christ did. And he commissioned him. He sent him then. He saved him and sent him to go and preach the gospel, both to Jews and to Gentile. And so he is a capital A apostle along with the other twelve because they are commissioned by Christ. But Epaphroditus is not a capital A apostle. We would call him a lowercase a apostle because he wasn't sent by Christ, but he was sent by who? By the church. He was sent by the church. It's interesting, Paul says in Galatians 1.1, he says, opens it up, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul says, I was commissioned from Christ, not from any men, but it was Christ alone who commissioned me. And that's how I became an apostle, capital A, apostle. But Epaphroditus wasn't sent by Christ. He was sent by the Philippian church, by men. Which is Paul, what Paul says, I have not been sent from. I haven't, I haven't been sent from men. I've been sent by Christ. But Epaphroditus is a man, he's an apostle, he's a messenger who has been sent by the church as their messenger to bring Paul the money. But... You think about this, as Epaphroditus shows up to Paul's house while he's on house arrest in Rome, what else is he going to tell him? All about how the Philippians are doing, right? Paul would ask, so what's going on in the church? Tell me, I want to know. And so he's a messenger in that sense, that he comes to give a message to Paul and tell Paul all about how the Philippian believers are doing. But he's not only the church's church's messenger, he's also the church's minister. He's also the church's minister. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that he was their pastor. We hear that term thrown around, right, as a minister. The minister would be the person who is the pastor in the church. But that's not what Paul is conveying here. He's not saying that he is their pastor. But the Greek word is the word liturgos, which sounds like liturgy, right? Liturgy. And what does liturgy have to do with? Has to do with religious worship. There's liturgy, religious worship. And what's interesting is that this word is used in the Septuagint, that is in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, of priests and Levites. The priests and the Levites. But Epaphroditus isn't a priest or a Levite, right? 
He's not a pastor. He's not a priest. He's not a Levite. And yet Paul calls him a minister. Why does Paul call him a minister? Turn over in your Bibles to chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. I read this earlier, but I want you to see it for yourself. Look at chapter 4 and verse 18. Notice what Paul says there. He says, But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus which you have sent, notice this, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable what? Sacrifice. Well-pleasing to God. What was the duty and the job of Epaphroditus? To send their what? Their sacrifice. Their sacrifice. What was the priest's job? To give what? The sacrifice. To give the sacrifice. And so what Paul is saying about Epaphroditus is that he is acting as their priest. He's acting as their priest on their behalf to come and to serve Paul as their representative as he comes to bring their sacrifice. Simple way we could say that is he's a servant. He's a servant of the church. And essentially what Epaphroditus is doing physically in Rome, he's doing there what the Philippians would be doing if Paul was in Philippi. What would the Philippian church be doing if Paul was there with them? They would be serving him, right? They're a servant. They have a servant's heart. They have a a heart to serve Paul. But because they can't all, as a church, make the 800-mile journey all the way over to Rome to go and serve Paul there, they send Epaphroditus. And he goes there representing them, doing what the church would be doing if Paul was there with them. He's serving on behalf of these Philippian believers. And so we can see the devotion of this faithful servant as he is not only devoted to his spiritual family and the spiritual field and the spiritual fight, but he's also devoted to serving the spiritual body, his church. He's devoted to serving the spiritual body. And he's devoted to Christ's work as he goes to serve Paul and to serve the church. And so that's the servant's spiritual devotion. Let's look second at the the servant's sacrifice displayed. The servant's sacrifice displayed. Turn back to our passage in Philippians chapter 2 and look at verse 26. Paul says this, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. You see, being a servant for Christ is not always easy, right? It's not always easy. There are hardships that come from serving Christ. You'll hear from false teachers who preach the health, wealth, prosperity gospel that all of your problems will go away if you just come to Jesus. Your life will just be easy, easy going. You'll have health and wealth and you'll be prosperous. 
Just come to Jesus. And you can live a comfortable life with no adversities, no trials. And if that happens, well, it's because you don't have enough faith. That's why you're in a trial. That's why you're going through this difficulty. Yeah, you just don't have enough faith. But that's not what the Bible teaches at all. That's a false gospel. In fact, the Bible teaches the opposite. Listen to 2 Timothy 3.12. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Write that one on your fridge. Post it up there. Hobby Lobby, come on, get on this. So we can put it in our homes. Or how about James 1.2? Consider it all joy, my brethren. Who are the brethren? Believers in Christ. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Notice James doesn't say if you encounter various trials. He says, no, when you do. Guess what? Brothers, sisters in Christ, you are going to have trials in your life. Hardships. You see, following Christ doesn't mean a trial-free life. But we tend to like a comfortable Christianity where we get to control our Christian life. But Epaphroditus understood that the Christian life is a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice. And sacrifice means pain. And it might mean sorrow. And it might mean suffering. In fact, notice what Paul says about Epaphroditus. He was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of what? Death. To the point of death. Now what's interesting here is we see this word distressed. See that word distressed there? In verse 26, that Epaphroditus was distressed. That word distressed there means to be anxious or to be troubled. And there are only two other times that this word is used in the entire New Testament, but they refer to the same event. What is that event? Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was distressed. Sweating drops of what? Blood. Jesus was distressed when he went to pray in the garden. And there's Epaphroditus in Rome with Paul who is distressed, not because he's homesick, not because he missed his friends or his family back in Philippi, No, he was distressed because he knew that the believers back in Philippi, back at home, were concerned about him and his sickness. That's what caused him his distress. He was concerned about them because he knew that they were concerned about him. You see, they had heard that he was sick. Somehow, we don't know how exactly, how the Philippians back in Philippi heard that he was sick, possibly from a traveler, as there would be people that would travel along this route, a lot of people that would travel. Somebody brought word back to the Philippian church that Epaphroditus was sick and sick to the point of death. And then word gets back to Epaphroditus, who's in Rome, where he hears that his brothers and sisters back at home are concerned about him. 
And he knew that that news that they had heard about him had brought them grief and pain because they were so concerned about him. And so he's distressed. He's distressed because he knows that they're worried and grieved over his sickness. And think about this, church. You have a man who has been to the point of sickness where death is staring him in the face. And if we were to be honest with ourselves, most of us, if we were in that situation, would want to put that news on Facebook, on Twitter, send it out in an email chain, and let everybody know how bad things are going in my life. Right? If we were honest with ourselves, we would say, yeah. Yeah, you're right, Ace. I would. Send it out. Why? Pity party. Woe is me. I love it when other people are concerned about me because I'm really concerned about me too. But notice that wasn't Epaphroditus. That wasn't him. He didn't have self-pity. He didn't turn inward and begin to worry about himself even in the midst of sickness to the point of death, he was concerned about who? About others. And he says, oh, it causes me distress to think that you're worried about me. I don't want you to be worried about me. You don't need to be concerned about me. I'm concerned about you. What a selfless man. Even in the face of death, This servant's life wasn't about him. Wasn't about him. Why? Because he lived his life as a sacrifice unto Christ. His life was about the work of Christ and about serving others. But praise God that his life was spared. As Paul says, notice in verse 27, he says, But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Notice he says God had mercy on him. What is mercy? Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. It's not getting what we do deserve. But listen, what did Epaphroditus deserve, church? Death. He deserved death. The person who sins will die. Ezekiel 18.20 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. That means Epaphroditus. And the wages of sin is what? Death. Romans 6.23. Epaphroditus was a sinner who deserved nothing but death. Just like all of us. We deserve nothing but death. Because we have all sinned against God. Every one of us has. But God showed him mercy by sparing his life. God was merciful to him. You know, I think we often take the mercy of God for granted. We often take the mercy of God for granted. You know, the very next breath that we take, we don't deserve. We don't deserve it because we've all sinned against God. And the wages of sin is death. 
We live in a world who thinks they deserve everything, right? I deserve that. Well, because I deserve it. Give it to me because I deserve it. When in reality, all that you and I and everyone deserves is death and eternal hell. It's all that we deserve. Because we've sinned against a holy and righteous God. But we praise God for his mercy. Amen? We praise God that he is a merciful God who does not give us what we deserve. And we praise God that he's chosen to save sinners like us and to give us something that we don't deserve. And even though Epaphroditus deserved death, God showed mercy to him by sparing his life. And in doing so, God even showed mercy to Paul so that he would not have the sorrow of losing a fellow servant of Christ. As Paul goes on and he says, and not only him, you didn't show, God didn't show mercy only on Epaphroditus, but also on me so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. God's mercy shown to Epaphroditus was also God's mercy extended to Paul. But it took sacrifice on the part of Epaphroditus to go and serve Paul. And it almost cost him his life. You see, Epaphroditus was willing to lay it all down to serve others. We have a lot to learn from this man, don't we? So that's the servant's spiritual devotion and the servant's sacrifice displayed. Number three, the servant's shared delight. The servant's shared delight. Look at verse 28. Therefore, I've sent him all the more eagerly so that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard. Paul sends Epaphroditus back to Philippi and he wants the church to rejoice over the fact that Epaphroditus was willing to sacrifice his life to serve Paul and is now back with them. He's taking the 800 mile journey back to them. And most likely, what we would conclude from this is that Epaphroditus sent this letter back to the Philippians after Paul got done writing it. He sent it with Epaphroditus to go back to the church. And when they see him then arrive in Philippi, as Epaphroditus comes walking into town, there would be two outcomes, Paul says. First, their sadness and sorrow would be turned to joy. They should rejoice that he's back. And second, Paul will be less concerned about them because now he knows Epaphroditus is back with his spiritual family, back with the church. But notice how they are to receive Epaphroditus. In verse 29, he says, Receive him in the Lord with all joy. How are they to receive him? In the what? In the Lord. In the Lord. That is, in the circle or sphere of Christ. As a brother in Christ, he is one of you, so take him in. Receive him. He's part of the spiritual family. What Paul is saying here is, look, he didn't fail his mission because he's come home early. Paul's saying here, no, I sent him home because his mission was complete. And so I sent him home. So take him in. But don't just receive him, but notice what he says there. Hold men like him in high regard. Paul has to make sure 
Epaphroditus is recognized by the church for his hard labors because, why do you think Paul would have to say this to them? Because Epaphroditus, was Epaphroditus going to walk into town and boast about himself? He wasn't going to. And so he tells the church, you need to hold men like him in high regard. Honor this man. He's just your average layman in the church who is faithful to serve in any capacity that God wants him to serve. One commentator says, in Paul's day and in our day, it's usually the famous, the talented, and the powerful who are praised. But here's a simple messenger who took a gift to Paul in humble service and sacrifice, and Paul says to honor him. He's not a celebrity. He doesn't have his own podcast or his own YouTube channel. Nobody knows about this man except the church at Philippi. He's just a layman there. And Paul says, you're to honor this man. But why should they honor a man like this? Because he risked his life for the work of Christ. Which leads to our fourth and final point, point number four, the servant's single-minded determination. The servant's single-minded determination. Verse 30, he says, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. You see, Epaphroditus gave it all to serve Paul and to serve his church. He even came close to death for the work of Christ. And Paul wants them to know how great a sacrifice Epaphroditus gave and what a great servant this man was. And notice what Paul says. It wasn't for the work of serving Paul. It wasn't for the work of serving Paul. It wasn't for the work of serving his community. But it was for the work of who? Of Christ. It's all for the work of Christ. Epaphroditus is willing to suffer even unto death for the work of Christ. Notice what Paul says about what Epaphroditus did. Notice he says this. He did the work of Christ by doing what? By risking his life. By risking his life. Now, listen, church. Listen. Remember what I told you earlier about the name Epaphroditus and how it was connected with Aphrodite and how it was associated with luck and rolling the dice in gambling. Remember I told you that? And how the Greeks used to gamble with dice and how they would roll the dice and what would they yell? Epaphroditus. Well, Paul uses a Greek word here in verse 30 for risking his life. And that is the Greek word parabolomai. Parabolomai. And this is the only place in the Bible that this word is used. And it means to expose to danger or to take a risk or to risk everything. What's interesting is that in the post apostolic church, there was a group of people, believers, who became known as the Parabolani. The Parabolani. And there were a group of believers who risked their lives to visit the sick and the diseased. Realizing that other people would not want to go and visit the sick and diseased because they could get what? Sick or diseased. 
But there was a group of people called the Parabolani who were willing to risk their lives to go and minister to the needs of the sick and the diseased. And their mission was to go to them and share Christ with them. They were known as the Parabolani or the gamblers. The gamblers. Because they risked their lives, they literally gambled with their very lives. Well, this group of people, listen church, this is fascinating. This group of people, they had a hero. You know who their hero was? Epaphroditus. He was their hero. Why? Because he was a man who was willing to gamble with his own life, to risk it all for the sake of Christ. He wasn't an apostle, capital A apostle. He wasn't a famous preacher. He wasn't a big name in the church. This man was a no-name who was just determined in his mind to serve Christ. And he's willing to risk it all for Christ. And he became a hero to many in the early church. And listen, church, this man should be our hero as well. We can have heroes. We can. Hebrews chapter 11, very clear. You and I can have heroes, and we should look at this man, Epaphroditus, as one of our heroes. Because he's a man who is willing to risk it all for the sake of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this man, Epaphroditus, and his life, and all that we learn from him. What a tremendous, amazing, faithful servant this man was. Father, may we take what we know from him that you have revealed to us in your word and put this into our lives, practice it, look to him as a hero of the faith, a man who trusted you and gave it all for the sake of Christ. Father, may we live our lives in that way, risking it all, always being willing to serve you in any capacity, in whatever way it is that you want to use us. And may it all be for your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.